Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that we have to study. We ask you to bless and guide us as our study and give us a wonderful time. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 65, we're going to continue in this section, and it talks about the new Jerusalem and heaven. I mean, this is a beautiful section that uh, usually when we think about the new Jerusalem and new earth and everything, we think about Revelation. But here's a beautiful picture of it in this chapter talking about the new heaven and new earth. So, starting at verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in, clust- in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of fo- flocks, and a valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down in. For my people that have sought me, but you are they that forsake the Lord, that forgot my holy mountain, that prepare a table for the troop, and that flourish the, furnish the drink offering unto that number. Therefore I will number you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because I, when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore I say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servant shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl with vexation of spirit. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, for the Lord God will, will slay you and call his servants by another name, that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in God of truth, and he that swears in the earth shall swear by God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from my eyes." So here's God still speaking about the trials that were coming to them because of their self-righteousness, then their rebellion, and their rebellious spirit. And God does not like self-righteousness. He does not like people making themselves look better than others because we have no righteousness that's worth anything in ourselves. And this is very important for us to understand. God resists the proud you know, he does everything he can. When we're trying to be proud of who we are and what we've accomplished, God resists us. And he's looking for people that are humble and say, not falsely humble. I mean, if you've got something that, you know, that God has blessed you with, it's fine to say, God has blessed me. He's given me this gift. But don't get proud on it. Make sure you understand that he gave it to you. And then he goes, verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster... And one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so I will do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. God always has a remnant of people. All through time, all through the the ages, he has had a remnant. In the beginning, it was the godly seed of Seth that followed him. Then it was Noah and his seed. Then it was Abraham and his seed. And even during the times of the nation of Israel, there were righteous people following God. At one time, the prophet said, I'm the only one following you. And God says, oh, be quiet. I've got 7,000 in heaven bent the knee. 
you know, and all through the middle dark ages when everything was, when Christianity was suffering and, and Catholicism was destroying Christianity, true Christianity, there was still a remnant of believers that grabbed onto the word and followed the word. Always has a remnant. No matter how dark things seem, God has a people. In communist countries, when, when everything was going bad, God still had a remnant of people. And he says, I will not destroy all the, all the people. It may look like it. We feel like we're the only one. But we're never the only one. And if we were, we're the remnant. We need to do our job to be not run over. But we're, we're never going to be the only one. And it says, verse 9, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. For Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Acre a place for her, herds to lay down, so that my people, that, for my people that have sought me. Here's a prediction of Jesus. The seed out of Jacob. All right? Uh, Jesus is that righteous seed that from whom all righteousness flows. And this is important. If it wasn't for Jesus' sacrifice, nobody could be seen as righteous before God. Nobody would be seen as, as holy before God because it's only because of what he has done. Our own righteousness is filthy rags, and we, when we get saved, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that being clothed in the righteousness of Christ is where that benefit comes. He comes in, he dwells in us, he changes us from the inside out, and the Father looks at us and says, wow, these are my perfect children. Now we know we're not perfect yet, but when God looks at us and we're his children, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ and says, these are perfect children. Because he knows what he is going to make us. And here, Jesus is the one. And it says, for my servant shall dwell there in the mountain that has been inherited by Jesus. And this is why it's so precious. When Jesus was resurrected, the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They were put beside on the shelf for a while. And God says, fine, you guys have rejected him. I'm going to deal with my other flock, my other people that are going to follow me. Now, Israel has not been thrown away. God still has promises to them because the promises to Abraham and David were both unconditional promises. Abraham was told that whosoever blesses your children will be blessed. Whoever curses your children children will be cursed that's still true even today even though they're on the on the on the shelf it's still true people bless israel they get a blessing they curse israel and bad things happen and you can track america where we've had presidents who turned against israel and watched things that are happening in our in our history that have been bad and you can see places where we have honored israel and supported israel very strongly and blessings have occurred and it's true in every other nation. You can, you can watch their history and see where the blessings have caused blessings and cursing has caused curses. And this is why in the Middle East, none of these nations are going to prevail that are out to destroy Israel. Because God has placed a curse on them because of their cursing his people. But during this period of time, God is working with the Gentiles. Jesus died 
and the Gentiles now get the opportunity to come to God and respond. And for almost everybody in this room, if not everybody in this room, we are all Gentiles. I don't think we have any Jew, Jews here by birth. So it is good for us that, we, that God comes to the Gentiles. And he says, they will worship, they will inherit, they will inherit my mountain and dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold for the sheep. Sharon is a area between uh, Jerusalem and toward the northern part of the Mediterranean in the Joppa area. It's a beautiful valley. Plants grow there, have always grown there. Animals grow there. Some of the greatest flowers have come from there. Um, and he says, this is going to be an area. And Achor, which is a valley, um, is literally the valley of trouble, is the definition of it. But he says, the valley of trouble will be a place for the herds to lay down on. This is the beauty when God steps into our life, even the trouble places are peaceful enough for us to lay down. Now that's sometimes hard for us to understand, but it really is true that when God is in it and we're focused on him, even the hard, troublesome places become peaceful because we look at him. And if we're really looking at him, we don't even notice that there's trouble going on around us. But he has everything in place, and when we just let him work out our life, we have this. And who's this all for? For, the, for my people that have sought me, those who have come to him. The Jews had this arrogant idea that we are born Jews, we are important because we're born this way. They were the problem ones for Jesus when he going, no, you have to turn your heart to God. You're not... You're not special just because you're born of Abraham. You're special because you turn your heart to God. And this is what is important for us. We turn to God. We turn our life over and we give him our life. And he says, I have a blessing for you. And the wonderful thing is when we live in that blessing, it's great. When we fight with God and we fight with our blessing, we fight against our troubles and we're not being crucified, life is miserable. Uh, and this is why I say over and over again, living a Christian life is wonderfully easy. All I do is surrender. When I surrender, God does all the work. He does all the protecting. He does all the changing. He does all the stuff. And all I do is sit back and say, well, God, look at all that you're doing. And he blesses us. And we can look at our life and say, wow, God, you are so wonderful. Look at everything that you are doing for me, around me, to me, to my family, to my church, whatever. You know, the blessings flow outward. They don't just fall on us because God's blessings, and this is something we really want to grab hold of. God is not chintzy with his blessings. He pours out blessings upon his people. He anoints us. And when, in biblical times, when they anointed people, it wasn't just a drop of oil like we do around, you know, in the Christian circles. They would take three, four, five gallons of olive oil and pour it over you. All right? You knew you were anointed. When you got anointed in, in the Old Testament times, you knew that you were anointed because you had olive oil dripping all off of you. That's sticky. Um, olive oil's not that sticky, but... Yeah, it's good for you. But, you know, 
we need to really think about God wants to bless his people. Now, if all we want from him is a little, little, little bit of blessing, he'll give us what we want. But, you know, we need to get to this place where we recognize God wants to bless us. He loves us so much he died for us. Why would all of a sudden he decide, well, I'm willing to die for them, but I'm not going to bless them. You know, I'm only going to give them a little blessing, even though they were worth dying for. You know, when you think about it, that is a really crazy idea. God wants to bless us. Now, he's going to look at us and say, are we going to have the right attitude if we're blessed? There are people who get the idea that, you know, I deserve the blessings or, you know, God is, God is rewarding me for whatever. And if we get that way, he's going to hold back on the blessing. He's not going to let us get in a place where we are getting somehow self-righteous over it. But he's, he's looking to bless us. He desires to bless us. Jesus said, you know, if your son asks for a fish, are you going to give him a scorpion? You know, uh, no, a, a snake. If he asks for a rock, are you going to give him a scorpion? You know, no. You're, you're, you're going to give them good things, and God is a good father. And we want to be able to look at this. God has a great plan for us. He desires those that seek him to bless them because he is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is life. When we get to know him, and he is our Savior, he gives us life. And then, if that wasn't enough, he sets us free from the bondage of sin. And this is what is hard sometimes. Some people go, well, I am just under so much bondage. Surrender to God. You know, when you're, when you're lost, it's just surrendered to him and you should see something change. But even when we walk in the Spirit, sometimes we have to surrender to him. God, I have this miserable habit and it's really tiring me down. God, I want to be set free. I need you to come in and, and deliver me. And then watch him deliver. It's an amazing thing when you really get to know God and watch him deliver you from whatever has you bound up. And it could be a sin. It could be just something that, that keeps you from serving him. You know, it could be something that just keeps you busy. And it may not be a sin, but it keeps you busy, which makes it a sin. If it keeps you too busy to stay with God, then it becomes a sin. And he can deliver. Whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. That's a beautiful promise. God wants to set us free of whatever holds us in bondage. He went into the children of Israel and set them free. How did he do it? By destroying Egypt. And he redeemed them. How did he set them free when they were in the judges period and they were under captivity? He went in and he destroyed their enemy. David stood before Goliath, who's challenging God and saying, well, what is your poor God going to do to you know, take you? And he defied God and that made David mad. And he says, God, we can't have somebody defying you. I'm going to take him out for you. Now, obviously, it was God who took the giant out because David didn't have the strength to do it. But David was willing to stand up and say, God, I want to stand for you. We as Christians need to be in a position where we stand for God. As this world gets darker and darker, we stand. We are light. We are salt. We change this world by standing up for God. Can we have a revival? Absolutely. 
David caused a great revival by standing up against Goliath. Gideon started a great revival by going against God, Israel's enemy. We see it over and over when God's people stand for him, changes happen. Now, is it easy to stand? Of course not. It wouldn't be standing if it was that easy. You know, God, I want to stand up here. I'm going to be trembling as I face this giant, but I'm going to stand in you. And know that when God's on your side, there is no enemy that's big enough to stop you. And this is the beautiful thing. We stand for God. We live in a PC world where if you say the wrong things, you say godly things, you're going to be attacked. We need to stand for God and say this is what it is and be a light, be salt. Right now we're losing the battle, but how far would this world have gone down the tubes if Christians weren't here actively telling them every time they turn around, you're doing wrong. They don't like hearing it. They're still going the wrong way. But imagine how far down we would be with abortion, euthanasia, murder, all the things that they're, they're wanting to do, how far away marriage would be completely out of the picture if the world had their, their way. And the Christians stand up and say, no, this is what God says. We're fighting a losing battle without revival, but we still are slowing it down. Because we are salt. It's just like pouring salt into meat. We slow down the rotting of the meat. Even if it's already started to rot, and you can slow it down by pouring salt into it. Or brining it was even better when you dump it into a salt brine condition. And it stops the, the putrefaction. We are salt to this world. We're not, doing, we're not totally stopping the, the rottenness, but we are slowing it down. And this is the beauty for us. God calls us to be his light, his witnesses. And the world is going to reject us. The world is going to persecute us. It's persecuted God's people all through scripture, all through time, all through history. We need to be ready and say, God, I'm ready for the grace you're going to give me to go through whatever it is you ask me to do. The easy out is to be martyred. Because then you just go home. The hard one is to suffer. To be sent into prison. To be mocked. To be ridiculed. To be punished in, in harsh ways. But God will give us the grace to put up with whatever he asks us to do. And this is the beauty of it. He's got a plan. And he wants to bless. And then in verse 11 he goes back to his people and says, But you are they that forsook the Lord and forgot my holy mountain, and prepared the table for the troops, and furnished the drink offering unto that number. Table here is the sacred table. It's a place of offering. So he says, you've given a table, a sacred place for the multitude. In other words, not me, God's saying. You took the sacred and put it away, and your drink offerings are being given to these idols. Remember, these people are worshiping idols. They're following other gods. And God is not happy with his people. And he says, you've done all of these things. You forgot me. You forgot my holy mountain. Verse 12 says, therefore, I will number or assign you to the sword that you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and did choose that which I delighted not. His people, he says, 
I'm preparing the sword for you. I am preparing punishment for you. Why? Because you did not call, heed my call. This is something even for us as Christians we need to be concerned about. Are we listening to the, re to the rebuke of God? Are we listening to the call of God? Because there is a point where God will say, okay, enough is enough. You're not listening. I'm going to bring you home. He's told the Jews this over and over again. You're not responding. It's time to have harsh discipline, which means many of them were killed. And he says, I'm going to number you for the slaughter because you did evil and you didn't do what I delight in. Our calling is to delight in God and do what he delights in. What does he delight in? His law, his word, his people. Jesus died for us because God delighted in us. We should delight in him and in the body of Christ. This is important for us. God tells us, forsake not the assembling of ourselves and so much more as we see the day approaching. Why? Because we need each other. We need the body of Christ. When we are down and having trouble, we need people that are going to give us godly advice. We need people that are going to encourage us because the world does not. The world gives us worldly advice, usually attacks, and if they are being nice to us, it's usually because they have an agenda behind it that they want to accomplish. And God says, we need each other. Delight in that. Verse 13 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. This is the beauty of what is going on right now. Christians are getting into God's word. They're eating. Jews... For all practical purposes, now there are, Christ, there are Jews that have been completed and, and are Christians, but Jews overall are atheists and agnostics. They don't believe in God. And it's kind of funny over there when they interview people, and I've listened to these interviews over time. Yes, we live in the God, and land that God, give, God, that God has given us, but I don't believe in God. You know, and it won't be quite that quick, but you listen to them. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. God gave us the land. This is the craziness that you hear from the world. You know, one of the things that I have had time and time again talking to somebody, and they go, they'll say something on one side, and then just a couple sentences later, they'll say something diametrically opposed, and I'll ask them which one is true. And inevitably, they're going to tell me both. And I go, they both can't be true, they're opposites. Well, I truly believe both. This is the schizophrenia that the world's viewpoint has. Well, I believe I can do this. I know it's not good for me, but I, I'm, something good will come to me because of it. You know, doesn't make any sense, and yet they'll do it. They'll fall into their sin. They'll go deep heads over heels in the sin, knowing, knowing that it's going to be bad, but somehow thinking they're going to get away with it, and something good is going to come out of their, their bad activities. And it just doesn't make sense, because God says, I will feed my people, and you're going to go hungry. Spiritually hungry. We are in his word. We're following him. We're with his people. We're being taught. We're being fed. And the world starves. They starve for meaning. They starve for affection. They starve for, for whatever it is they're looking for. And they're looking in all the wrong places because they don't turn to God. 
and they'll make themselves miserable. And Ecclesiastes is where Solomon did the same thing. He's not, he even knew where to find God and didn't go find God. You know, he was doing everything he could to find God. Work, collector, builder, you know, spending lots of money, being generous, women, alcohol, drugs, you know, he did everything trying to find the peace of God. And what's really sad is he had had it before. When he was younger and God said, Solomon, what do you want? I want wisdom. And he was blessed in following God and then he got wise in his own eyes and drifted away from God and then instead of going back to God, tried to find God in every place but where he was supposed to go. And at the end, he came back and said, this is the end of the matter. Serve God. <laughs> Serve God. You know, and this is where it is so important for us. We need to get to the place where we understand the only good that we're going to find, the only blessing we're going to find, the only fulfillment that we're going to find is serving God in whatever he asks of us. And no two people are going to be asked to serve him the same way. You know, he does tell us to share the gospel. He does tell us to spend time in his word. He does tell us to fellowship with him. But we need to get to the place where we say, God, I want to serve you for whatever that means. And then watch God bring the blessings and bring the joy that peace passes understanding and the peace that passes understanding. When everything seems to be going wrong and you have your confidence in God and people look at you and think you're crazy because you're still having confidence in God when everything looks like it's going bad and you literally are at peace because you know God is in control and people are looking at you like you're insane. You know, but you know that same thing they're looking at you with if it's real, I want what they have. This is where the greatest blessings come in when people look at you and say, I really think they're crazy because they can be happy, they can be joyful, they can be peaceful and all this stuff going on. But if it's real, I want what they have. And this is the beauty of our testimony. When we walk with God, people look at us and say, they've got something. They've got what I want. You know, and they will... You know, if they're into drugs, they might ask you, well, what drug are you taking? Because I want what you've got. You know, now I got Jesus. I'll give you all the Jesus, all the Jesus you want. You know, but you know, this is what's important. We live a life that people look at and say, they've got what I want. And you know, we sometimes look, and I've said this over and over again, we look at some people who seem to have everything. They've got fame, they've got fortune, they've got, they've got the properties, they've got people liking them. And then the next thing we read, they've committed suicide, or they're strung out on drugs, or they're an alcoholic. And we're going, why? What do they have that, you know, what more could they want? The peace, the peace of God that they don't have. And this is why it's important for us to be able to tell people what they need is God. And not that God will make everything easy. Matter of fact, Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you, they're going to give you, you're going to go through trials and tribulations, but he is at our side giving us strength. We cannot be defeated when Jesus is at our side. We may feel beat up, but he's right there, giving us ointment and, and, and loving us and holding us up. He's right there giving us strength. And this is the beauty of it. And he goes, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. His called people 
are going to be spiritually hungry, spiritually thirsty, and they're going to be ashamed because they don't know God. The best thing for us is we will never be ashamed as long as we're walking with God. And even if we do something that's against him, he will still forgive us and take the shame away. This is the beauty of being his child. His forgiveness and his grace doesn't release all the consequences as for us doing wrong, but he says, I forgive you. You're still my child. And he gives us great blessings. This is the wonder, the wonder that he loves us so much and he forgives us over and over and over and over again. You know, and he says, you're still my child. If you will come back, I will forgive. Matter of fact, he's forgiven us even before we come back. We come back with our repentance. And he says, oh, now we're back in fellowship. When you're his child, you're never out of his ownership. You're just out of fellowship. And we confess our sins so that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness so that we can draw next to him. And what he's really doing is teaching us to forgive. Us to forgive ourselves and forgive others. You know, and I hear people oftentimes saying, well, I just can't forgive myself. And my answer to that is, what an arrogant attitude. God can forgive you, but you won't. All of a sudden, you know what you have just committed? Idolatry. You have placed yourself above God. Your standards are bigger than God's standards. We need to be careful of that. And is it easy to learn to forgive? No, but we need to learn to forgive ourselves and others because that is God's heart. He forgives. He reaches out with love. And the beauty of love is that love gives out. Love isn't selfish. Love isn't, isn't uh, judgmental. You know, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about what love is, and it's all about actions. Love acts, and it doesn't expect me. And the hardest thing for us all, and believe me, I know, is when you feel like you're the one that's pouring out in a relationship or, or, or a friendship or, or a marriage, and it feels like you're doing all the loving and they're not doing anything back in return. But you know, true love doesn't expect it to come back. Not that it's easy because we're human, but true love doesn't expect I go through this oftentimes, you know, like, God, you know, I'm the one that seems to be trying on this, and I don't seem to be getting anything back, and God says, you're, you're to love. You're to love. And this is important for us to understand that God is out there, and he wants to give us all these things. I love verse 14. Behold, my servants shall sing for the joy of heart, but you shall cry for the sorrow of heart, and shall howl in vexation of spirit. Have you ever been in a place where you just are singing to God? You're just so joyful. I love, I, so often I will just catch myself singing, singing a song, praising God. Some, some hymn will pop into my head or some chorus will pop into my head. And I will just sing. And, you know, I'm sure if anybody was coming by any place I was, they'd think I was crazy. But I just... God has put a song in our heart because of the joy that's there. And it's better than being sorrowful all the time. I can't even imagine having nothing but sorrow and howling. And yet I meet so many people, that if you talk to them, nothing good has ever happened to them. You know, they are so focused on all the bad stuff that's going on in their life, 
and they'll make sure that everybody knows how bad things are. You know, everybody will know, you know, my life has fallen apart, my kids are all bad, I lost my job, or my job's a bummer, and my car is giving me trouble. These are the people that live for the weekend, and then they don't enjoy the weekend because it's too short. You know, you hear it at work all the time. Oh, my goodness, it's Monday, Friday, still five. Oh, it's, it's Wednesday, we're almost to, oh, it's Friday, it's the weekend. <laughs> In eight hours. <laughs> you know, what a sad thing to be living for the weekend, and especially for many of them, because they're going to go party and get so drunk and, and, and doped up that they don't remember the weekend in the first place, but they were living for that weekend. It becomes a miserable thing to them. You know, and, and they lose five days out of every week because they're living for, for something else. Same thing with a lot of people. They're living for retirement. I'm working real hard, and one day I'll get to retire. And then they either die before they get retired, or they don't have any energy or strength because they're retired, or they don't have the money to do all the things that they had planned when they retired. And they wasted an entire several decades of their life waiting for the day. We need to live each day for God. He said his mercies are new every morning. We need to really grab hold of that. God, you, are, you have something new for me this day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We start each day saying, God, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do today. You know, I am waiting to see, God, how you are going to bless. This is, this is going to be a good day. I drive people nuts at work because I'll go, well, I hope it's a good day. I'm going, you need to make it a good day. You cannot afford to have bad days. Life is too short to have a bad day. God is out there. He's going to give you a good day. And I tell them God's going to give them a good day even if they're not a Christian. Because I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but I'm still, God is the only one that's going to give them a good day. So I, I start out with this whole idea that God is there to give you a good day. Sometimes somebody's going to ask me to give them more about that. And I'm going to give, I'm going to give it to them. But you know, I'm planting seeds. God is the one that's going to make it a good day. You need to have good days. God's mercies are new every morning. It is miserable to go through a day expecting nothing but bad. Because you know what happens when you expect nothing but bad? You have a miserable day. Usually when you go through and expect good things, you'll find something good in your day. It could be the worst day you've ever had in your life, but there'll be something good because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for where God has blessed you. Not for all the bad, you know, uh, that's going to happen. You know, and this is very important. What are we looking for? Are we looking for God's blessing? He wants to. He wants to give us this joy. He wants to give us the joy of our heart. He wants to give us peace. He wants to give us a song. Verse 3, it says, You shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen and the Lord shall slay you and call his servants by another name. This is the beauty of what's happening. God's people have rejected him and God has blessed us as Gentiles. Now the Gentiles were always supposed to be blessed. God told them right from the beginning you're going to build your temple, you're going to have these sacrifices and by the way the Gentiles can come in and offer these sacrifices. And the Jews immediately over time a very short period of time, isolated it. 
Gentiles, you're not allowed to come in and worship God unless you become a Jew. Because he is for us. So unless you're one of us, you can't come in, even though God says it's for the Gentiles. It's for all nations to worship him. And they created a bigger and bigger wall. Now before we judge the, the Jews too hard, we as Christians do this sometimes ourselves. Uh, God, you know, those, those sinners over there have to stay over there. We, we can't have them ruining our, our testimony. They're, 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 it's not good. God, you just keep them over there. And, you know, this is important for us to really understand God loves everybody. He died for everybody's sins in this world, and he's looking for people to accept him. And this is the beauty of salvation, that the salvation is being held out to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he's saying, come. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're heavy laden, go to him. Even if you're a Christian and heavy laden, go back to him and say, God, I want your rest. I want you to take the burden that somehow I took back. God, I want you to give me freedom, to set me free from these burdens that I'm having. If you're his child, he wants to free you. If you're not his child, he wants to free you by turning to him. And he's saying right there, my servants are going to be called by another. And that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of the truth. And he that swears on, in the earth shall swear by God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from my eyes. God hides our sins from his eyes. Jesus died, spread his, shed his blood for the sins of the world to be covered. And God says, I don't see sin anymore. The only sin that God is going to see and judge is a sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. What a powerful statement that we have. Accept Christ's sacrifice and he forgives and clothes us in his righteousness. Reject him, and you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. And what a beautiful blessing he has in store for us if we just turn to him. And it's so simple. It is so simple that so many people don't want to do it. I've shared the gospel with people and actually had them go, well, it can't be that simple. And I've got a real good answer back from them. Yes, it is very simple, but it seems to be hard for you. So, you know, it's really sad. It is so simple that any child can understand the gospel message and respond. It's so simple that we have to become like children and accept it in its simplicity. Now, the same thing about it is salvation is very complex at the same time. It costs a great deal. It costs the life of God himself for us to have salvation. It is not cheap. It is not simple. But it is. All I've got to do is surrender. Surrender my pride, my, my desires to him. And let him become Lord and Master. What a beautiful thing we have when we let him become Lord and Master. Verse 17. For behold, I create a, 
new heavens and a new earth and the former shall be shall not be remembered nor shall nor come to mind for but be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I created for behold I create I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people and the voice of the weeping shall not be heard any more in her nor the voice of the crying there shall no more hence be an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For a child shall die at a hundred years old, but the sinner shall be a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and they shall eat, get, eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as in the days of a tree are the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that, they, that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The beautiful picture of the new heaven and new earth. You know, and this is, this is beautiful because, like I said, most of the time when we read this, these types of verses, we're thinking about the statements in, in Revelation when God says, I'm going to create a new heaven and new earth. And yet, that was old news to the Jew. They had already heard God's got a new plan. You know, he says, I create new heavens and new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Heavens. Our atmosphere and the universe. A new new heaven, new atmosphere and universe. The the heavenly, the heaven of heavens may or may not be renewed, but, you know, be made new. But those two we know. When God talks about heaven, we talk about three heavens. All right. When Paul said, I, I know a man who entered the third heaven, that is into God's presence in heaven. So we have our atmosphere where we have the wind and the rain and the storms. We have the universe where we have the stars and the planets. And then somewhere beyond that, we have the third heaven, which is God's abode. So he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Everything that man has touched with his sin will be destroyed and made new because God says the sin has to be removed sin has to be removed and the only way to ultimately get rid of it our atmosphere where we have weather where we what we breathe and then he says the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind once we have the new heaven and earth, we won't remember this world. We won't, we won't remember all the bad things we were, that we're missing out or that, we've been, that we no longer have. God will wipe it all from our mind. Now, how does that work in relationship with families and friends and all that? We don't know. But we're not going to remember what happened in this world because he's going to wipe it, wipe it away. This kind of leads me to thinking, you know, because there's two schools of thought. Like, you know, will we remember our lost, our lost family? There's those that say, yes, we will, but we'll know that they got what they deserve and we'll understand it from God's point of view. Or we won't remember them at all. 
which means there's holes in our brain, but that's okay. God can take care of those holes in our brain. Now, either way, it doesn't matter, because if I understand that they're in hell because of what they choose, I'm still not going to remember them with sadness because I'll be sad that they made a bad choice, which means, again, God's going to wipe out a lot of that. We're not going to think about them. Which I'm, I kind of lean because he says all the memories will be gone that we won't remember the, our family members that didn't make it, didn't make it and follow God. Kind of sad. Huh? Kind of sad. It's sad on one side, but if you don't remember them, it won't matter anyway. You won't be, you won't be sad. You're going to be so happy with what God gives you, you're not going to be worried about anything that's not there. Uh, because there's nothing there that doesn't need to be there. And this is so important for us to understand. God has a blessing beyond anything we can imagine. You know, he talks about this new heaven and new earth, and he says, I'm going to take away all the remembrance of the old. There, there's not going to be a sadness for us to feel. He goes, but you, uh, but be you glad and rejoice forever in that the Lord created for. Behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And in Revelation, we see the picture of the new Jerusalem coming down to the new, new heaven, a uh, new earth. And it's just a small city, 15,000 15, miles cubed, <laughs> just a little small place. Now, we think we have big cities now. God's got a really big city in, in store for us. And that is where we will have our home. Will we have to be there all the time? I don't think so. The rest of the planet is going to be our playground. Maybe even the whole universe will be our playground, but that will be home. We have a beautiful home. And if you think about how many people can fit into 15,000 cube, uh, miles cubed, that's a lot of people. And we get to have lots of room. I had somebody do the math one time, and he says, you'll have acres and acres of land, you know, of room available to you in the New Jerusalem, each person. Because it goes, not only is it 15,000 miles wide and long, it's 15,000 miles up. Right now, we can't even breathe that high up because we need oxygen, but then it's not going to be a problem. This is a big city. And in case you need to be no, told how big 15,000 miles is, it's half the United States. The city is going to cover half the United States. That's just the city. That's not the new heaven. That's not the new earth. That's one city where our home is with Jesus and the Father. The rest of the world becomes our playground. The rest of the, the universe becomes our playground. No, that's not the entirety of, of the new, new, king, new, new creation. That's just Jerusalem. He talks about saying, I just, I just built a city. You know, God makes it sound so simple. You know, yeah, he built everything else too. Just, you know, and, and I put a city in there for you guys to live in. You know, and, but we're going to look at it and be amazed at what he's given and what is there. And then we get to see our, our mansions, our suite of rooms. And you know, if you've ever seen, you know, if you've seen these pictures where people go into a very nice suite of rooms in a castle or they go into a really, really nice hotel and they're just amazed. You know, and, they, and you, and you, and you get, watch them going into the movie and they open into this first room and it's a beautiful room. They, they think, wow, I can live in this room for the rest of my life. And then they start opening doors <laughs> and find other rooms. 
that are, that are out there. You know, and they're going, wow, that's what we're going to be doing. We, we'll be able to open rooms and open rooms and open rooms and say, God, when, when do all the blessings stop? And be blown away by all that he's given us and the decorations that he has put in those rooms. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What a place. He's only, you know, he created the whole universe and world in seven days, uh, six days plus a day of rest. Jesus has been working for 2,000 years on our home. What kind of beautiful place will this be that it takes God 2,000 years to really deck out and personalize? He could have done it in seconds. We know that. But just imagine, every one of these is personally created for the person that's going to dwell there. Beautiful picture of that. Verse 20. And there shall no more hence be an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. So years old in, the, in God's kingdom, in, in the millennial kingdom. Now, that's kind of hard to think. Now, we think it's pretty bad when people act like kids in 50, 60 years old, but he's saying the child will just be 100 years old. How long are they going to live? Well, number one, it's the millennial kingdom. They'll live to be probably up into the thousands, just like they did before the flood of Noah. Well, not in the new heaven and new earth, there won't be death, but this, at this point we're looking at the millennial kingdom because that's where death still exists. But once the new heaven and new earth comes, there will be no death. Why? Because death is the result of sin, and the new heaven and new earth will have no sin, so there will be no death. Well, not only that, but there is no, there is no sin to be able to have death. And I've said this, when Jesus went to the cross, he could not have died until he became sin. Because sin results in death. And without sin, there is no death. So the new heaven and new earth will not have death, will not have diseases, will not have any of the curses that we're used to. We won't have the desire to sin. We won't be tempted to sin. We won't have the desire to sin. We won't, we won't have anything about sin. And we can't even picture what that's like. Because we're bombarded with the desire to sin all the time. Even if we rejected, the thoughts are still there. You know, and we will get to the new heaven and new earth. And what a blessing it's going to be to not even be tempted. Not even have a desire or capability of sinning because we made our choice down here. Wonderful place that we can't even comprehend. We can't comprehend what it's going to be like to not have to live in a sin-filled world. A world of storms, a world of troubles, a world of trials, and a world where we sin and are tempted all the time. We can't even hardly picture what it you know, what will it be like to have all the blessings of God and not be taking pride in it because we know that we didn't deserve it. It's all a gift from him. And not be tempted to get proud. Because even on this earth, you serve God, you serve God, and there's this temptation to get proud of all the things that you've accomplished for him. And it's so easy to do. Even if you're a humble person, it's easy to start feeling, wow, God, look at all the stuff that I've gotten done. 
And then we're not going to say it. We, we are really saying, God, you're so lucky to have me. If you didn't have me, this stuff wouldn't get done. And God's going to say, let me show you how much I can get done without you. This is important for us. Nobody is so important that God can't replace you. All right? Nobody. The pastor, a teacher, nobody is so important that God can't replace them. And the good news is, is usually when somebody that you think is important does leave, God replaces them with two or three people to take their place, and all those people grow up and, and respond to God. And it's great. You know, I've watched God take away key people in this church and put other new people in their, in their place, and usually it's more than one that he replaces them with. And this has been true all of my life, walking with God, saying, God, how are you going to replace that person? That person, that person is the youth department. You know, and the next thing you know, you've got another person that's doing a good job with it and another two or three people helping with it. And now you've got three people being in the youth department and not one. And you look at it and say, God, wow, you are just so wonderful. You have blessings more than we can, can comprehend. And if you think you're that important, God will prove to you how not important you are by putting somebody, multitude of people in your place and raising up a whole bunch of people and if you think you're that important and other people start taking over your positions, now you're going to have a hard time. My hope is that God will raise up somebody to replace me someday and I'll go do something else. Why? Because there's a lot to do in his kingdom. There's a lot to do in every church. There's a lot to do in his kingdom. If somebody comes along and says, you know, and they're better than me, do whatever, let them have it. Let them. I'm looking forward to the day when somebody else comes along and says, I want to be the worship leader. Because I don't like being worship leader. You know, because I can't worship. And I do it all the time. I start worshiping and I forget to read the words. <laughs> and when you're the leader, that's pretty bad when you're forgetting to, sit, to lead with the words. Huh? Well, I do the wrong words too. Because I'm just making up words because I'm in worship. You know, when, and when you're the leader, that's not the way you're supposed to be. Yeah, and sometimes I just get lost because I've been worshiping and I go look back down I don't know where I'm at that's when I'm, that's when I'm getting into worship yeah. but you know God has got us all in places and we all step up to do what needs to be done and then God brings the right people in and they get blessed and they bless the body of Christ and, and you lift up everybody why am I trying to teach others to be able to cover things so that if I'm gone we can still go forward if I have a Sunday school teacher, I can teach Sunday school. I'm good at teaching Sunday school, but I want others to learn to teach Sunday school. I want others to learn to do things because that's my job is to raise up other people so that if something should happen, you know, let's say I get into an accident and die tomorrow, there's, the church still goes on because other people can do things. And that's important. Nobody is so important to the church and to God that they are indispensable. There's no indispensable people in God's kingdom other than himself. It says that the child shall die at, die at 100 and still be a child, but the sinner shall be in 100 shall be accursed. This is definitely the millennial kingdom because there are people living in the millennial kingdom that aren't going to follow God. And you know, it's kind of interesting. When you look at the Bible, it seems that the shorter lifespans belong to those who weren't following God. Pharaoh, when he met Jacob, goes, how old are you? Because he didn't believe how old he was. And at the time he says, I'm 127 and hard and long in my days. And Pharaoh was amazed. 
that a godly person had lived to be that old. And at the time that they were living, if they made 60 or 70, they were old. And here's somebody, 127, who's not going to die for another 10 years, <laughs> comes into his presence. And it's amazing when you go around churches that are really godly churches and you see all these people in their 80s, 90s, living good life. And then you get out into the world picture and these people are 50, 60 years old and they're decrepit and falling apart. Why? Because sin takes its toll on the body. And you know, the wonderful thing is I've seen it happen over and over. Somebody accepts Christ in their life and I've seen it look like 10, 20 years have just dropped off of them. There's a shine on their face. A, a, their shoulders are lifted up. Their strength. Because God has made them a new creature. And it shows. And you can see it in their face. You can see it in their account, you know, in the way they behave. And they, they get a spring in their stuff. I'm not saying they become a spring chicken. But, you know, you see that they have energy and life put back into them. And the world doesn't understand it. I've seen people that are 40 years old out in the world that look like they might be about 120. You know, they are beat up, dragging, no excitement, no life. And it's like, you need to know God. <laughs> you need to know God and be blessed. All right, and then it says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and they shall eat the fruit. They shall not build and have another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat as... For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. In other words, you're not going to do the work and others enjoy it. How often does that happen in this world? You, know, you do all the work and somebody else gets all the credit. They get, they get the blessings. They conquer your area. They take it over. You, you fix up the house and somebody repossesses it or dispossesses you out of it, one or the other. Uh, he goes... In, my, in this day, in the millennial kingdom, you do the work, you get the blessing. In the new heaven and new earth, you do the work, you get the blessing. You get the reward out of it. And God says that's how he wants it to be. He wants it to be that way. And yet the world system with all of its evil oftentimes dispossesses people from it. And all through Israel, they would be misbehave and God would send judgment in. People would come in and, and steal all their goods and steal their houses and because they had disobeyed God. And he says, my people in the new heaven and earth, the new in the millennial kingdom, will get the rewards for what they do. You build the house, you get to live in the house. You plant the fields, you get to reap from the field. And he says, and this is kind of an interesting thing, he says, for, for as the days of the tree are the days of my people, what does that mean? Long life. We've got trees that if you cut them down, you find out that they've got 900 years of, in their rings in there. You know, and, and God is saying, my people will be like the tree, lasting long. Uh, and we all know what it's like you, if, you, if you plant a tree. Now, my mom planted trees in her house about 30 year, years ago when they moved, and all those trees are fairly good size now. They, they give shade. I planted a tree, it's about six foot tall. All right? I probably will never see the shade from that tree in my, in, while I'm living in that house, or I'll be lucky to. Because we planted it in my 50s, so I've got to live in that house until I'm 50 or 70 or 80 years old to see shade from that tree. Uh, 
And this is what he's talking about. My people shall be like a tree. Time will just keep going over, flow over them, and they're not going to recognize it. It's not going to be that big a deal. Verse 24, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. This is even coming true for us today. How many times have you given God a request, and even while you're praying, all of a sudden there's the knock at the door? We think about when Peter was in the prison and the church is praying for Peter's deliverance. They're in the midst of their prayers, and God leads Peter out of the prison. He goes knocking on the door. Rhoda goes to answer the door, doesn't even answer the door, says, who is it? It's Peter, and she runs away to tell the, tell the people praying that Peter's at the door. She didn't even open the door and let him in. You know, and she gets up there and says, Peter's at the door, and they're going, oh, it's just his angel. He must have died. We're wasting our time. And they finally, after she convinces them, go down and find out that it's Peter at the door. He heard the call before they were even calling. We go to somebody like Joseph, delivering his brothers and his family from being starved to death during the seven years of, of famine. God answered their prayer 20 years before they even started praying. You want to talk about answered prayers? God answers prayers in his time. He knows when we're going to pray and he knows what, is, what we're going to pray for. And before we pray, he hears. And before we ask, he is answering. What a beautiful thing. He knows our needs. He wants us to pray and ask because he wants us to show faith. But he already knows how he's going to answer it and already has the process many times in process. In process before we start praying. Uh, Dallas Seminary, when, when they were just starting, was praying one time. They were getting together. They were having financial needs. And they started praying you know, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you please sell some of those cattle and give us money? While they're praying, there's a knock on the door, and, the sec and they go, leave us alone, we're praying. They go, this man insists on seeing you, says the secretary. He came in and said, well, I just sold a whole herd of cattle this morning, and I wanted to give you guys the proceeds. That didn't happen the moment they prayed. Okay, he didn't just show up at the door having sold a, sold a herd of cattle at that second. It had been in process days ahead of time because he had to get the cattle to the, to the market. Then he had to sell the cattle, and then he had to have God's heart on him to give to them. Many of our answers of prayer are happening long before we pray them. Have you ever been the answer to somebody's prayer while they're praying, not knowing that you were their answer to the prayer until they told you? It happens. It happens all the time that we will be their answer for prayer as well because God puts things in motion long before the prayers are asked. He answered our greatest prayer for salvation long before we even knew that we needed a prayer. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for us so that we could be saved and go to heaven. And we give our prayer 2,000 years later in our generation and he answered it 2,000 years ago. Not knowing, and we pray, not knowing that the answer is already there. What a beautiful God we have that provides for us. 
and provides greatly for us. And then the last verse in this chapter, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock and dust shall be the serpent's need. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The millennial kingdom, the new heaven and new earth, animals will go back to the way they were created. Not eating one another, not killing one another, not killing human beings, not making problems. Being what God created them. Lions will no longer eat meat, they will eat good grass. That's hard for us to picture because we don't know of lions eating grass. But that is what God created them to be. He created them to be, and all things, to be herbivores. He created man to be vegetarian because nothing was supposed to die. It's not until Genesis 9 that man is given permission to kill the flesh to eat. Now, I'm not going to say they didn't do it before God gave them permission, but it wasn't given permission until Genesis 9 because he created us without death, without pain and suffering. What a beautiful thing. He says, I'm going to return it to how it was when I created it. The serpents will not be a problem. The wolf will not kill the lamb. The lion will not will eat grass and not kill, kill in, uh, flesh. And in another place it says that the, the child will play at the ass nest and not be, not be bothered. You know, they're not worrying about the snakes because they're not deadly anymore. They're not going to be vicious. Again, a world we can't picture <laughs> because we don't understand it at all. If anything, I'm glad that God is going to take it out of my memory because I like meat. <laughs> I cannot picture being just a vegetarian, and yet I know that that's what it's going to have to be in, in, the, new, in the new heaven and new earth. Well, I like my vegetables too, but I like my meat, and I won't remember that I like meat. <laughs> so it would be good. It'll be good that I won't remember because that's the only way that I can enjoy a vegetarian diet. <laughs> If I could not remember that I ever liked anything else. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for how much you love us. We thank you that you've got a promise of a new heaven and new earth where everything will be made perfect beyond anything that we can comprehend. Lord, we ask that you help us to be good examples to you, that we learn to rest in your love and your care, and that you will help us be answers to other people's prayers, and that you will give us the ability to witness to others and give the gospel message to others and be able to share that message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. 
Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.